Please turn with me in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. Some of you weren't here last time we had a sermon from Joel, so we'll give a recap. The point of the last sermon from Joel 2, from Joel, was in chapter 2, verse 11. You can say it's the point of the whole book, really. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? It's a good question. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Who can? Anyway, do you have an answer? Well, this morning we're going to hear about repentance and restoration. We kind of left it there last sermon. Kind of a cliffhanger, you can say. This morning we're going to hear a call to repentance and how the Lord will deliver. The Lord will restore. It'll be a joyful ending this morning. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 25. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. We're going to get to that hope. The Lord can restore the years. But to hear the hope, we first have to ask questions. We won't taste the sweetness of that hope if we don't taste the bitterness of what came before. So we have to ask, how did the people in Joel's day get themselves into this position in the first place? Why does the Lord need to restore the years? Do you remember what happened in Joel? The Lord sent locusts that destroyed all the crops, all the produce. Why would he do such a thing? He's so punitive. Why did he? Because the people, not the people out there, God's people, Israel, had acted wickedly. They asked for the locusts. And you say, well, no, they were victims of the Lord's judgment. You know, like you and I, we're victims of the bad things that come our way. I mean, how cruel can God be? We haven't earned this. We're swell people. We're decent. Look at us. No. According to God's word, we deserve damnation. We deserve hell. Right? If we're, doing, if we're any better than that, then we're getting better than we deserve, right? We don't deserve his loving kindness. We don't deserve his mercy, but he gives it. He's such a good father. God had weighed the people's deeds on righteous scales, and they were guilty. They were disobedient. And because God is just, he brought judgment. So what happened in Joel's day, there was a devastating locust swarm that came. It still happens in the Middle East today. Have you seen pictures of these things? They're giant. They're like horses with wings. And they come in, and they eat all the crops, and you're done. 
They don't have, they can't go buy a Twinkie down at the convenience store or cheeseburger over at a restaurant. The key verse again, 2.11, the day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? He later writes that all who call on the name of the Lord, they'll be delivered. He also prophesies that the Lord will pour out his spirit on all flesh. That'll come in the next sermon on Joel. It's sobering to read that first section of Joel, just like you read in all the prophets. Major prophets, minor prophets, you just, it's uplifting and encouraging as the contemporary Christian stations say, right? When are we going to hear some contemporary Christian songs from the minor prophets anyway? John Foreman's done it, the lead singer of Switchfoot. I'm very thankful. If you haven't heard it, he has some single EPs out, and he actually sings from the minor prophets and some of the best songs I've heard next to My Soul Among Lions and Good Shepherd Band, of course. have to get that plug in there. They're awesome. We got to hear them this last week at the conference, and they're just wonderful. They're coming here, by the way. I'm going to continue this plug. They're coming here this summer, May, June maybe, so get excited and start to invite people when you get details. We don't like sobering. We like happiness. prophet of our own said that happiness is a yuppie word. It's a, it's a vapid word. Happiness does not mean joy. They're different things, right? Joy comes from God. Happiness we often try to fabricate with different kinds of medication, right? Well, it was sobering for Joel in his day. It was reality for Joel and the people he wrote to. So let's bring it home to today. When our nation's economy is destroyed, does it do any, but any of us any good to pretend like it hasn't been destroyed? It's unavoidable. It's sad. After these locusts did their work, the crops were gone. Their entire economy, it was destroyed. It, it writes specifically, those of us who are winos, those of us who are drunk, drunkards, who turn to strong drink, beer and whiskey, there, there wasn't even any wine. There wasn't even any grain for alcohol. They couldn't even turn to their drink to hope in. Couldn't find relief there even. Awake drunkards and weep and wail all you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. No grapes, no grain, no alcohol. And God removed it. He removed even the option to be drunk so that the people would turn to him. You know, I feel bad. I'm in pain. Here's a beer. Here's a whiskey for me. That's not even there. Well, I only have one option, and that's hoping in the Lord. Maybe it's not alcohol for you. Whatever you use to cope, whatever game, whatever entertainment, whatever sin, God's pleased to even remove it from us. We're so weak, we can't even... Have the option. He removes it from us so that we'll turn to him. God brings judgment so that we, his people, will repent. What a joy. What do we have written on our church cards and all our bulletins? 
You know what it says? Acts 20, 21. Preaching repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're about here. Preaching repentance. Not an empty repentance. A repentance toward God. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The point is very simple. Where there is corruption, where there is sin in our church, where there is sin here in Christ's church, God will bring punishment. And he's good for that. It's good for us. And we often take God's forgiveness and his mercy for granted. In Joel's day among God's people, what looked like faith among the people, they were, they were doing the thing. They, they even tore their garments sometimes. They even had dust and ashes sometimes. But it was exposed. It was, it was an empty form. It wasn't, it wasn't really repentance. They had lived lives of moral depravity. And the, this, deprav it, this depravity, it doesn't come in a vacuum. In Joel's day, before the locusts came, they were rich, they were fat and sassy, plenty of grain, having a good time. And corruption often follows a time of wealth. You think about your life, right? The Lord humbles us that way. When we're wealthy, when we're successful, when we're at ease, we let our guard down. And that's often when we forget God. It's the, it's the cycle of history. Great success, followed by great decadence, followed by judgment, followed by repentance, which brings success. <clears throat> and some of you are thinking, all right, Paul, some of us heard that sermon. You don't have to preach it to us again. So guess what? Now we come to this morning. We're going to hear about repentance and restoration. We're going to hear a call to repentance, and the Lord will deliver and restore. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from Joel 2. We ended last time in 11. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Now hear this. We're going to read from Joel 2, verses 12 through 27. Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And rend your heart, and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room, and let the bride and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. And do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the peoples say, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. 
the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. But I will remove the northern army far from you, and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land, and its vanguard into the eastern sea, and its rear guard into the western sea, and its stench will arise, and its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit, the fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Tastes sweet, doesn't it? God's word is sweeter than honey. For those who missed Dr. Forney, one of the elders in Toledo, mentioned, I think, during a Jewish young man's bar mitzvah, they, uh, they take the boy's hand, and following scripture, they read that passage. God's word is sweeter than honey. They take the boy's finger, dip it in honey. Let the boy taste it. Tastes very sweet. God's word is sweeter than that. Verse 12, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. The people had God's attention, right? The crops had been destroyed. They're a little more attentive to what God was telling them. Thank God when, if in fact we do go headlong into sin, that he judges us. He punishes us. He corrects us like we correct our children, right? And then we have open ears. Oh, wow. I guess this sin wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, was it? But God, you are kind. Listen to Ezekiel 33. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have spoken, saying, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Wake up. Turn. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. But the Lord knows us. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? 
Therefore, return to your God. Observe kindness and justice and wait for your God continually. Joel goes on in verse 13. And rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Some of us here are so jaded. Pastor Stephen Baker in Bloomington has brought this up. We read passages like this. We read the Psalms, and, and we're so jaded we, when we hear verses like this. We're such Eeyores. A lot of us have the attitude where it's like, well, when has God ever made good on that with me? Just blind to all the good things God's given us. Remember what we deserve. I mentioned it earlier. We're doing any better than damnation and hellfire. We're doing better than we deserve. Listen to Jeremiah 18. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? He's the potter, we're the clay, right? Declares the Lord, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. There are several passages that talk about the Lord relenting. Some even say repenting of bringing judgment. The Lord never changes, but if we change, if we turn, then he'll hold his hand back. Isn't that how we are with our children, right? Or at another moment, Jeremiah continues, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plan it. The contrast if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I'll think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So now then, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. O oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. Here's our response more often than we'd like to admit. But they will say, it's hopeless. I'm not done playing with my sin. It's hopeless. For we're going to follow our own plans. And each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. That's honestly how we are. Thank God for the prophets. Joel continues in 14, verse 14. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Perhaps they will listen and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I may repent of the calamity which I am planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. So do you remember the people of Nineveh? I'd love to get to Jonah eventually. Remember the people of Nineveh, who Jonah preached to? What did they do? What did the people of Nineveh do? They repented. 
They actually did it. And so the Lord took that and he smoked him out. He destroyed him. No. He lifted the ban. He did not destroy them. They actually repented. From the leaders on down, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. They heard I would like to hear that sermon that Jonah finally got around to preaching to them, right? After running halfway around the world, seeing. I'd like to hear that sermon. Whatever happened, the Lord spoke and they listened. Thank God for that prophet. When God saw their faith, says in Jonah, but that's not what it says. When God heard their lip service, No, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Of course they had faith in God. Of course, obviously. We won't turn from our evil ways if we don't have faith in God. We can't do it. We can't turn in faith to God and in repentance by our own flesh, by our own power. But they didn't have just lip service. They didn't say, oh, I have faith in God and continue doing what they were doing. They actually turned. You know, the Old Testament is awfully concerned about people actually turning away from their evil ways. You ever notice that when you read the Old Testament? It's a funny thing. About actually repenting. It's like the Lord is not so convinced by the lip service. But you know, that's the Old Testament, right? I mean, it's legalistic, this sermon so far. I mean, you start talking about our actual lives and what we're supposed to do, and that's not grace-filled. That's not gospel-centered. We're not under law, we're under grace. We can get into the New Testament. We only have so much time this morning. We can read Hebrews 11, examples of heroes of the faith who lived by faith. We can get into the churches in Revelation and the judgment that were coming to them for their lukewarm deeds. We can get into loving Jesus means obeying his commandments. I've, even in the past, I've said, you know, when I was with Campus Crusade for Christ, like, now in the New Testament, now as a Christian, it's not, about, it's not about rules, it's not about laws. I was ignorant. I was ignorant of the New Testament. I hadn't read it. What do you think the Apostle Paul's writing to the churches? Put the man out. He's acting wickedly. The Apostle Paul just didn't get the gospel, Right? We need to have the milk, the sweet milk of the gospel. We need to have the meat also here. The gospel is glorious. We need to have all of the counsel of God's word. What does the Great Commission say? You know, just say gospel. No, teach them to observe all I've commanded you. Jesus is in authority. 
That's the Great Commission, baptizing them, making disciples. Back to Joel, verse 15. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. Verse 16, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. The priests and the elders were expected to be the first to repent. Those in authority should lead, should be examples of repentance. Something about removing the log from my own eye so I can see to take the speck out of your eye. Joseph and I must be examples of repentance. And he and I hold one another accountable. On those, we, we ask you guys to send us your prayer requests on those connection cards. And in the morning on Wednesday, we hold one another accountable. We confess sin and we pray for one another. But those in authority here, fathers, mothers, grandmas, grandpas, husbands, wives, bosses, those in authority, be good examples of repentance. Of course, that doesn't let subordinates off the hook. If you're a subordinate, be an example of repentance. Joel, verse 17. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? The Lord has always been in the business of saving his people so that the nations will know that he is God. Think of all those passages from Genesis up through Revelation. Think about Israel. Think about Christians throughout history. He saves his people so that the nations will marvel. I mean, you look at Stephen being stoned in Acts. If you read Moses and the prophets, they always prayed that the Lord will spare his people. God's ready to wipe the people out. He tells Moses, all right, stand aside. Moses, I'll spare you. I'm going to kill them all, and I'll make a new nation out of you. He did it with Noah and Noah's family. And Moses pleads with the Lord. He pleads that the Lord will spare them. You remember why? Why do they ask the Lord to stop? Because God's people don't deserve his judgment. They pray that the Lord will spare the people for his name's sake. Because otherwise, back in e Egypt, they're going to say, oh, he brought them out to kill them. The prophets... The apostles, they're zealous for God's name. And we are not like this today. Maybe we're a little faithful, right? Continue to, continue to act in faithfulness if you are being faithful. But if we're honest, we pray that God won't bring judgment often, although we deserve it. We pray for God to hold his hand back because we want an easy life. We're fat and sassy Americans here after all, right? His namesake, we hardly care about that. 
we're too concerned about what we have going on. You know, what's next on my agenda? Talking with family and friends and coworkers and neighbors, are you zealous for his name, for God's name? Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? This is exactly what Pastor Bailey's been preaching through John. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Joel continues, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I'm going to send you grain, new wine, oil. You'll be satisfied and full with them. I'll never again make you a reproach among the nations. I'll remove the northern army far from you. I'll drive it into a parched and desolate land, and its vanguard into the eastern sea, and its rear guard into the western sea. And its stench will arise, and its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Don't fear, O land, like the land of Goshen, right outside of Egypt. Don't fear, O land, rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Don't fear beasts of the field. God's so kind, he's even concerned about the beasts, like in Jonah. For the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. Verse 23, now we're really cooking. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. Listen to Isaiah. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you'll say, give Thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Don't be ashamed of Jesus' name. Make known. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song. He's done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Proclaim it. Don't share it. Testify. Proclaim it. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Look at us. Look how God has been so kind to this church. It's unbelievable. My folks in the Pappenmeyers are so happy they're moving to town to join us. Be nice. Deuteronomy 11, listen to this. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain. He'll give it to you in the spring. He'll give it to you in the fall. That rain's coming. 
You'll get so much rain, you'll think, okay, that's enough. To love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, he'll give you the rain for the land in its season, early, late rain. You may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He'll give you grass in your fields for your cattle. You'll eat and be satisfied. Beware. I know you people. I know your stubbornness. I know you become satisfied with yourself and think that you brought it about. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He'll shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit. And you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Now, Paul, why would you have to bring us back there? We are on such a high note. That's such a downer. Because we forget like that. Habakkuk 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, Remember what comes next? Yet I will exult in the Lord. Thanks, God. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Love scripture. Thank you. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Judgment belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you and I. It's not to us. And trust me, he sends judgment. Listen to 25. Verse 25. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Let's remind ourselves what the Lord had done previously because we're prone to forget. The gnawing locust, what he's left behind, swarming locust ate it up. The Lord wasn't done. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. What the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. So that promise, how can the, made, how can the Lord make it all grow back? You know, those swarms of locusts come in, and it's gone. It was destroyed. The Lord's not capable of making it grow back. Too much for him. That's what we tell ourselves. Now we're going to get specific here this morning with us. It's convenient that we keep Joel and his day at a distance, right? How can the, ma how can the Lord make it grow back? Is the Lord's power limited in your life? We will see whether his word will come true or not. So in Joel's day, look at verse 23 with me. Excuse me, verse 25. He says, then I will make up. Has God ever made a promise on which he has not delivered? Ever. In your life. He doesn't say, and then I might make up to you, depending on what's in it for me. 
then I'll promise to deliver, but I won't make good. That's what Satan does. Or then I'm just going to continue to be punitive because you wronged me. So what, you repented. You're going to face my wrath. It's so hopeful. He's a good God. He punishes us. And then he opens his arms to us. I will make up to you. Look at what the words say. You'll have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people will never be put to shame. God brings judgment. We know he's here. God brings prosperity. He's here. So what about today? Again, your life. What about you and I here this morning? What about when we leave here? Every walk, sin has entangled our lives in different ways. I could go on with a list. You've messed up with your kids. You haven't loved them. You haven't disciplined them. The Lord will make up to you for the years that the locust has eaten. Joyful? Husbands, you haven't loved your wives. Husbands, you haven't cherished your wife. Husbands, you've abdicated your authority and been a lazy slob. Or, husbands, you've been an authoritarian rather than a good, kind, loving authority. You've been harsh. Will you repent? The Lord will make up to you for the years that the locust has eaten. He's good. Wives, you haven't loved your husbands. You know that husbands need love too, right? Wives, you haven't submitted to your husbands. Because they've abdicated, you have your excuses, right? Or because they've not born with your weakness. Or because you simply must take matters into your own hands. Will you repent? The Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You've been given to lust and pornography. You're guilty of adultery. You're guilty of sexual sin. You were molested. You were assaulted. You had an abortion. You murdered your son or daughter. God is kind. He will restore even those years that the locust destroyed it all. You've been consumed by bitterness because relationships didn't turn out the way you planned. You've been consumed by bitterness because many things in life didn't turn out the way you planned. Didn't turn out the way you, the way I deserve. 
whatever current sin you're living in, the list goes on. We can stay here forever. The Lord will restore the years. Just repent and turn to Jesus. And here's where we'll end. Do you believe it? Let's not be like the people in Jeremiah's day. It's hopeless, remember? We're going to do whatever we want to do. Lord's gracious anyway. They continued headlong in their sin and their unfaithfulness. They loved their sin. So of course they were hopeless. Living in sin brings despair. Don't go there. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away like a locust eating crops. When God brings judgment, He brings judgment. He brings it to you, He brings it to me, to our nation, to this world. Think about it. A locust is a relatively small thing. God brings a swarm of them. He doesn't even need to bring a giant army. He doesn't need to bring tanks. He'll bring a tidal wave. He'll bring tornadoes, hurricanes, locusts. God brings judgment, complete judgment. And you know another thing? When God shows you mercy and compassion, He has no equal. You dads and moms who think you got a corner on the market of compassion, you can't hold a candle to the way God does it. Like the father of the prodigal son, when that son returns to his father, the judgment's over. Dad knew what the son had gone through. Father opens his arm, he slaughters the fattened calf. Welcome home! He rejoices. My son is lost, now he's found. Welcome home to daddy. The Lord restores the years in his timing. He's no man's debtor. He's not your debtor, he owes you nothing. He's not obligated to restore the years. And he might restore them in ways that seem strange to you. Not the way you asked for it. But he is good. He's compassionate. He's full of loving kindness and truth and justice. Whether it's your sin or if you were sinned against, if you truly are a victim of sin, there is only one hope for all of us. Only God restores the years that the locusts have eaten. You might plant some seeds out in the field. You might do some watering. But the Lord causes the growth again. He gets all the glory. He's jealous for it. Turn in faith to Jesus. He's good. Trust him alone and trust him all the way. Let's pray.